My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 141, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 19 through 20, 2 Chronicles 20, and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter 6. 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, but be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat are from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. 
Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied with 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. He sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, This is what Ben-Hadad says, Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, My lord the king, I and all I have are yours. The messenger came and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says, I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials. They will seize everything you value and carry it away. The king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, See how this man is looking for trouble. When he sent for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold, I did not refuse him. The elders and the people all answered, Don't listen to him or agree to his demands. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messenger, Tell my lord the king, Your servant will do all you demand the first time, but this demand I cannot meet. They left and took the answer back to Ben-Hadad. Then Ben-Hadad sent another message to Ahab, May the gods deal with me, but be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. The king of Israel answered, Tell him, One who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. Ben-Hadad heard this message while he and the kings were drinking in their tents, and he ordered his men, Prepare to attack. So they prepared to attack the city. Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hands today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. But who will do this? asked Ahab. The prophet replied, This is what the Lord says. The junior officers under the provincial commanders will do it. And who will start the battle? he asked. The prophet answered, You will. So Ahab summoned the 232 junior officers under the provincial commanders. Then he assembled the rest of Israel, 7,000 in all. They set out at noon while Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with him were in their tents getting drunk. The junior officers under the provincial commanders went out first. Now Ben-Hadad had dispatched scouts who reported men are advancing from Samaria. He said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. If they have come out for war, take them alive. Then junior officers under the provincial commander marched out of the city with the army behind them, and each one struck down his opponent. At that, the Arameans fled with the Israelites in pursuit. But Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. The king of Israel advanced and overpowered the horses and chariots and inflicted heavy losses on the Arameans. Afterward, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done. Because next spring, the king of Aram will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are gods of the hills. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. Do this. Remove all the kings from their commanders and replace them with other officers. You must also raise an army like the one you lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, so we can fight Israel on the plains. Then surely we will be stronger than they. He agreed with them and acted accordingly. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. When the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. 
The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats, while the Arameans covered the countryside. The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. For seven days they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day the battle was joined. The Israelites inflicted a hundred thousand casualties on the Arameans' foot soldiers in one day. The rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them, and Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in an inner room. His official said to him, Look, we have heard that the kings of Israel are merciful. Let us go to the king of Israel with sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads. Perhaps he will spare your life. Wearing sackcloth around your waist and ropes around their head, they went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. The king answered, Is he still alive? He is my brother. The men took this as a good sign and were quick to pick up his word. Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad, they said. Go and get him, the king said. When Ben-Hadad came out, Ahab had him come up into his chariot. I will return the cities my father took from your father, Ben-Hadad offered. You may set up your own market areas in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Ahab said, On the basis of a treaty, I will set you free. So he made a treaty with him and let him go. By the word of the Lord, one of the company of the prophets said to his companion, Strike me with your weapon, but he refused. So the prophet said, Because you have not obeyed the Lord, as soon as you leave, me a lion will kill you. And after the men went away, a lion found him and killed him. The prophet found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him and wounded him. When the prophet went and stood by the road waiting for the king, he disguised himself with his headband down over his eyes. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Your servant went into the thick of the battle, and someone came to me with a captive and said, Guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his, or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. That is your sentence, the king of Israel said. You have pronounced it yourself. Then the prophet quickly removed the headband from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. He said to the king, This is what the Lord says. You have set free a man I had determined should die. Therefore, it is your life for his life, your people for his people. Sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his place in Samaria. Second Chronicles 20 After that, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You ruled over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in your distress and you will hear us and save us. 
But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Metani, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Juriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set up, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying in the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, but the Lord has given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shelih. He followed the way of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their ancestors. The other events of Jehoshaphat's reign from beginning to end are written in the annuals of Jehu, son of Hanani, which are recorded in the books of the kings of Israel. Later, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahaziah, king of Israel, whose ways were wicked. He agreed with him 
to construct a fleet of trading ships. After these were built at Ezion, Geber, Eleazar, son of Dodavihu of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have made an alliance with Ahazai, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and were not able to set sail to trade. Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn, that we may look for him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. You are beautiful as Tirzah, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Descending from Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Sixty queens there may be, and eighty concubines and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Who is this that appears like the dawn? Fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession. I went down to the groves of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley, to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. Come back, come back, O Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may gaze on you. Why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of Mahanayam? We're almost at the end of the book of 1 Kings. We're still in the northern kingdom of Israel, where King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was a high priestess of Baal worship from Phoenicia. Remember, King Ahab was from Israel, whose one and only God is Yahweh, and he married a woman who zealously worships a foreign god or foreign gods, creating religious conflict within the northern kingdom. The prophet Elijah had declared a drought, which went on several years because of their lack of faith. Then God called an end to it and tasked Elijah with telling King Ahab, and Elijah devised a creative contest to remind the people there is only one God, and he will bring the rain. He proves it. Then all the false prophets are put to death. Just when you think this is a turning point in the story, more of the same conflict ensues. In this story today, Jezebel threatens Elijah, and while he wasn't afraid to face King Ahab after a drought of three years knowing King Ahab's wrath, He is afraid enough to flee, and he declares in chapter 19, verse 4, I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever felt like this? I know I have. It seems like coming off of a peak victory experience, perhaps it's a surprise or exhaustion or a combination of many feelings that leave Elijah feeling let down, discouraged, perhaps a sense of failure. We talk about failure in one of my courses called Sources of Innovation, There's some great thinkers, writers, and speakers on this. Some of my favorites are Simon Sinek, Brene Brown, talks about the difference between shame and guilt, where in failure, we either tell ourselves that we are bad or we understand that we made a bad choice. Kristen Neff talks about self-esteem and self-compassion. Are we trying to muster our self-esteem or sense of purpose and worth by being better than someone else? Or are we trying to pursue who God is? And when we make mistakes, we recognize our feelings of disappointment, frustration, and anger. 
or even those in someone else. But then we start thinking where we name and recognize the feelings and look for a path forward in taking responsibility and strategizing ways to prevent that type of failure in the future. Another one, Angela Duckworth, who talks about grit. That one's really cool. I don't know if you've ever heard about the difference between bravery and courage, but bravery is doing something and you don't really know what the risk is. Courage is when you know just how hard something's going to be and you do it anyway. So the concept of grit is this ability to persevere even when you know something is going to be really hard. It's linked to Carol Dweck's work on the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So in this story, I feel we can learn a lot about God's response to our failure, even if and when we hold positions of leadership, in this case, Elijah the prophet, and do seek to put his name on display and represent him. Elijah was so overwhelmed by his feelings that he just went to sleep. Ah, how many times have we done this in a moment or season of feeling overwhelmed? Perhaps we literally go to sleep or we figuratively numb ourselves to the world with whatever distraction suits us best. Binging TV, sugar, alcohol, busyness. But when we might think a come-to-Jesus conversation is needed, how does God respond here first to Elijah? his feelings of discouragement. He sends an angel to care for his needs, to feed him and give him something to drink. For me, there's this aha moment in thinking about an important way we can encourage others around us, even people we are leading by focusing on the basic needs we know help a person to recover and respond instead of reacting in difficult situations or only talking about, you know, the blame or the problem at hand. Notice how one meal didn't do the trick. It wasn't a transaction. Elijah went back to sleep, and this process was repeated. And then he was fortified enough to be tested. That's what we know the word wilderness means in this story so far. I see it as our God-given opportunity to accept change and be willing to use growth moving forward. So not fail as in fall flat, but fail as in fall forward. The wilderness can be a place to ask God questions, make observations, experiment and test the what, how, and why of our role in the story, to mature and improve, to innovate for the purpose we've been talking about all along, to become a kingdom of priests, putting God on display, helping others navigate to Jesus for atonement, interceding for even the most rebellious in prayer, and being prodigally generous. There's so much, in, and also in the Second Chronicles story, about discouragement and God's response to that by encouraging. And I think there's something really cool to reflect and focus on regarding feeling discouraged ourselves or observing others in discouragement and how God gives us encouragement in different ways and how we can do that for others. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.